Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Our guest on the show today, Jackie Reese's, is going to share advice and lessons from small business owners from her book titled Self-Made Boss. Jackie and her co-author, Lauren Weinberg, provide firsthand accounts of small business owners who have built their companies from the ground up. From hiring and obtaining capital, the inspiring stories and powerful lessons in this book make it one of my all-time favorite books for small business owners. Jackie is the CEO of Luna Financial Group. She has been named one of Forbes' self-made women, fast companies, most creative people in business, and American banker, most powerful woman in finance. And prior to that, Jackie was at Square, and she also had leadership positions at Yahoo. Jackie, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I love being here. What an exciting, exciting topic. And so I, I've enjoyed uh, listening. Well, look, Jackie, I, I like this book because you and Lauren highlight the most important aspects of starting and scaling a business. Not only did I find the lessons valuable, I found the personal stories to be truly inspiring. Like the story of Letitia Hank, who owns ARS Roofing. That particular story registered with me, Jackie, because about 15 years ago, I had a construction business. As a Latino, I went through a lot of the same things that she went through, which you can talk about later in the podcast. Also, uh, Pico Oysters owner, Peter Stein, who started his business in response to being laid off. And there are a lot of different reasons people start a business. We hear it here in the podcast. For some, it's personal transition like Peter. For others, it's been a lifelong dream. And like for me, I knew I wanted to start a business from the age of 10. I saw my family and parents growing their businesses, and I, I tied that to total freedom, and that's what my goal was. And I know that you started early too. So in the book, you, sh you share your story of growing up in the family business. Let's start with your personal story of entrepreneurship. Sure. Um, I did grow up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I worked for both of my parents and there are generations of my family members that all own small businesses. So the idea of going to work for someone did not even register in my head because I was used to going to the store. And by that, I mean a local retail pharmacy with my mom when mm -hmm. I was off a day in school and I was used to standing behind the cash register, ringing up sales, um, you know, with my uh, brother. And so that's the way I grew up. And I think it's a magical way to grow up with that kind of um, experience of seeing a business operate at a very visceral and personal level. But I started in that environment. I went to Penn, University of Pennsylvania, Wharton undergrad. It changed my life, opened the aperture of what my career could be. And I then decided to go to the dark side. And so I ended up working at big companies for a while. And I worked at Goldman Sachs. I was a partner at Apex Partners, which is a huge private equity firm. Uh, then I went to Yahoo and Square. And now I actually run a company. We changed the name of our firm. I run a company called Lead Bank, which is a bank in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, which is both a community bank and a fintech infrastructure company. And so I've had lots of different opportunities to, to do different things in my career, which I greatly enjoy and is something that entrepreneurs will appreciate more than anyone. With self-made boss, you know, it's geared towards small businesses, but you've spent most of your times at big companies. What inspired you to really cater to that audience? 
Well, interestingly, at Square, uh, our customer base was small businesses, and I ran the lending and banking products. And so it's a very emotional product where you're trying to help small businesses with financing because they're usually locked out of the financial system for credit. Mm -hmm. And so during the pandemic in particular, where I was deeply involved in PPP and in working through the challenges of of businesses getting shut down, I saw the need to help entrepreneurs start running, grow their business. It was obvious. They needed help. They needed a guide. There's nothing like it out there, which is a very pragmatic way to work through a topic that is both insightful because you hear stories from other people's experience, but also pragmatic in that you are given uh, a how-to guide on how to get things done topic by topic. And so I was amazed at how, one, small business owners are super interesting and have incredible insight to share. They might not even realize it, but a lot of them have incredible stories that could get translated into useful experience. And two, that that experience has never been told before in any other topic. And so that was really the catalyst for writing the book. That makes sense. I mean, I think back to when I started in business 20 years ago, and I remember reading E-Myth and a bunch of other books. Um, but what I really liked about Self-Made Boss was the stories that you you shared, because being in networking groups in the community and just being around people that, that um, have businesses it's made me a better business person, right? Because you might hear a story or you might get some advice or strike up a, a friendship or someone might become a mentor. I've, I've been a mentor and I mentor other people. And so it's, um, it's really interesting there. Now, there's a lot of different people that you highlight in the book, the, the different sections from HR to marketing, legal, operations, like everything that you need soup to nuts, really. Over the years, I found that surround, surrounding myself with people who are like-minded is really the best way. And usually what I find with those types of entrepreneurs, uh, Jackie, and you, I don't know if you find this, is that they are lifelong learners too, right? They, there's a th uh, thirst and desire. So tell us about that. Well, interestingly, I also feel like entrepreneurs have problems to deal with in every element of their business. So they usually went into business because they love some particular craft. Mm -hmm. And then they have a broader set of business challenges, yet they're often understaffed in order to manage them. And so they're managing them themselves or they're doing it with less staff than they'd like. And so they take on different roles that they might need. And the way that entrepreneurs I find are best served to learn is by listening to the experiences of others. Because there's usually a parallel between what happens at one shop versus another, what happens at one service provider versus another. If you have issues with staffing, they're usually the same challenges that the shop down the street has. And so being able to share experiences with other entrepreneurs has an incredibly powerful effect for learning. And so that's really the reason why this book can be so helpful because you get to see and hear from others, but also see and hear from others as told in a framework for learning. And so, you know, I I find that small business entrepreneurs have incredible insights to share for almost 
any topic, whether it's cash flow management, HR and staffing right now, dealing with technological challenges, those are top of mind for a lot of entrepreneurs. It's true. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to right, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, I decided to enroll in a program at Stanford, which is out there by you. And it's the Latino Alban uh, business program with Jerry Porras, who co-wrote the book with Jim Collins. And what an amazing program. And I, we were in there with about 80 different businesses, ranging from a million dollars all the way to like $50 million. And what I what I learned and, and learned time and time again, Jackie, is that even in those groups, when we were paired up with people who, who didn't have the, the same set of skills, as you said, they you could have some breakthrough ideas. Like what I do is marketing and lead generation, but I could be in a group with someone who does tech or HR and they could have the best marketing idea. And yeah. so I, I love that. So Lauren, my co-author who runs Marketing at Square, talks about how she advises small business owners to create a social media calendar, even if you don't mm -hmm. think you need it. It gives you something to keep you organized. So on one day, you might talk about who you are as a group of employees. So you profile an employee, you profile yourself, you profile something that's meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. On another day of the week, you profile a particular product. And then on another day, you profile a customer. Those are examples of, of a type of calendar that she might say, it would be amazing if you think through that. And that way, it almost takes the challenge out of it. Like, shoot, it's a Tuesday. I know I wanted to post something. What do I do? And so it also enables you to kind of look at all facets of your business and realize that your customers might enjoy learning about the people who work there. They might enjoy hearing about the purpose of what you do. And so when you start to think through a calendar like that, you get on this cadence and you get in this organization where it, it enables you to be more thoughtful about it. And so I think that's the kind of lesson that I think can apply to any type of small business owner. It doesn't really matter what field you're in. And you could be a woman who owns a cake store. You could be a woman who owns a plumbing shop. You could be a guy who runs an online commerce shop. Mm -hmm. What I just said applies to everybody. Yep. And so when you're able to share lessons of like, well, wait, how did you post? How did you do that? Mm -hmm. um, it really can be impactful for your business, regardless of what field of expertise you have. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm even thinking at the beginning of the book when you, which by the way, for the, for those of you watching the video, this is the book right here. Um, at the beginning of the book, you talked about your experience in in working at the pharmacy with your family, and I liked the, the part where you talked about how you learned so much from your mom about customer service. Can you touch on that? Because I think for many small business owners who aren't as experienced in that area they they don't always put themselves in the customer's shoes because we're all consumers and we all like great customer experiences. But in my day-to-day -day interactions with businesses, Jackie, and when you talk to people, I, I, I'm not going to say most, but there's just too many businesses that know, are not doing great customer service. Clearly, you learned that early on in the pharmacy business. How can people improve their customer service? You know, <clears throat> I think I, I I start with a philosophy of customers first. <clears throat> and if I were the customer, how would I perceive this? And how would I perceive something that's happening? And it's really easy to have someone come in, complain, 
and you take a no as an answer. Someone has an issue, you basically say like, no, I'm sorry. That's against my policy. This, this, this is not something we do. Or you try to be more thoughtful. How would I perceive this? And maybe the right response should be, you know, that sounds like a real challenge. Let me see what I could do for you. Like, this is the way we've approached our policy, but I'm sure I can just think and try to be creative for you and see what we could come up with. And you might come back with the same answer if you come back and say, like, I'm sorry, they wouldn't take it back, but mm-hmm. could I send it to our tailor to try, you know, I'm making something up, but, you know, you can try to just show that you're caring yeah, and having empathy and listening. And I think elements like that can be incredibly powerful, even if it <clears throat> isn't something you end up doing. Right. You've at least acknowledged that the customer's point of view is super important. And I think that really matters more than anything and how you how you handle challenging situations. And trust me, there are lots of situations where people on the other side of transactions are truly awful, acting in bad faith. Right. And you want to just put them in their place. And sure. maybe there's a time and place for that. You know, like if someone is truly egregious. But I would just think strategically whether there's some other way to handle it where you are always taking like a high road. You are always expressing the culture, your business in the way that you deal with customers. And you're thinking about how they might approach it first. And I think that kind of feedback and guidance is often the best way to deal with some of these more challenging situations. For sure. I mean, an experience that we had um, last year or the year before, I forget now, but um, uh, we had to change our water heater, replace the water heater. So fun, right? Came back from a summer vacation. It was like, oh my God, we have a freaking water heater situation. But I called several companies, got got some referrals, looked at the reviews, the same thing that we all do. Um, Long story short, Jackie, the company that we ended up going with uh, we chose because they were willing to meet us where we wanted to be met. And you know where we wanted to be met? On text, SMS. Now, I thought that the company the whole time had this in place from, from the, the contract to the scheduling to the payment. The whole transaction was clean, simple. They came, they replaced it. I was happy. The day that the technician was installing it, he, he asked me like, oh, did the payment and all this go through? I said, yeah, I mean, everything was great. You guys were the only ones that were willing to talk to me via text because I was very busy and whatnot. And he says, yes, we, we, we just put that all in place. And he proceeded to tell me that prior to that transaction, they had never done it before. But because I had asked them, would they be willing to do it? They went outside of the box and, and did it. So that's like such a great example. And of that's course, amazing. I told that- and I've told that story, Jackie, I, I bet you're in California. You're probably going to be like, I, I, they're in Florida, but tell them to come over here because we all want to have service providers who care and go above and beyond, even when it's uncomfortable, just like the example you gave as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have to find the limits of what works. You know, you're not always in the custom everything business. But if you listen and are thoughtful, maybe you can learn something based on what your customer is asking for. And maybe there's something new that Mm -hmm. might be interesting. And maybe you just have to kind of check yourself at the door. Um, 
you know, there's always there's such a, a broad spectrum of challenges that could come up. Although, you know, frankly, in dealing with challenging people, there's a whole set of issues to deal with people who aren't the kindest as well. And in that case, you know, sometimes just almost going to your Zen place and maintaining your cool is better for your own mentality because you don't want to lose your mind yourself. No. Uh, and so somewhere in there is the right answer, depending on the situation. Uh, but I really do try to listen to our customers and make sure I'm doing right by them. In the chapter about HR and talent, which we know is the, one of the heaviest chapters you have in the book, and it's a topic of conversation, right? All the buzzwords, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, you name it. It, it, it's been real tough. And I, a couple of stories there, you know, really registered with me. I have friends and even clients who are in the restaurant business and whatnot. But one of the stats that was in there was that uh, the, according to the US Department of Labor, 47 million people quit their jobs last year, 2021. Yep. What can small business owners do to attract talent? It's tough out there. Yeah, it is a tough environment. Even with some of the economic challenges today, it's a super tough environment. Um, and so I see it as a few things to do in order to, to deal with talent. Um, first, um, focus on your culture. Culture really matters. Mm. Um, you might be a two-person company. You might, frankly, be a one-person company. But the culture of how you operate translates from your own expression of your products to your customers, from your own self to your employees. And when you really think about what kind of culture you want to have, you really can build a purpose-driven organization that makes people feel good to work at mm -hmm. and makes them want to be a part of. People want to be a part of something they're proud of and that they enjoy. And you could be a plumber and still be an amazing employer. Because, you know, you potentially do stuff that's super powerful for people. Mm -hmm. And if you're a plumber that has a unique culture, meaning like every Fridays you do bag lunch together and you take an hour out to talk about things you've learned in the week or you do a monthly uh, book club or mm -hmm. you just do something nice for people like those things really make a difference. So. Culture is one piece of it. Benefits are another. Um, benefits speak to who you are. Oftentimes we think about benefits as very standardized package of benefits, but you can customize them based on who your employees are. Um, you know, if you have a lot of young uh, employees or you have <coughs> a workforce that might appreciate this, like IVF benefits right now. Mm. are incredibly powerful because fertility is often an, a challenge when you have that aged employees for people. And if you can do something IVF related and fertility related, that might be something where it'll put someone over the edge to come work for you. Now, if those kinds of benefits are things you can't afford, then there are ways of doing things where maybe you do weekly exercise classes, or mm -hmm. you do something fun that is kind of more affordable for people, or you do something for families that you think creatively about what kind of benefit could you have that makes it a great place to work. And so those are the two types of things that are super powerful mm -hmm. for businesses right now. And oftentimes we find that they're not top of mind for the smallest companies. 
they really kind of start to hit the mid-market companies when they realize with an HR team that they need to be focused on their culture. But I highly recommend thinking about how you express yourself to both customers and employees as a holistic set of experiences that you want to represent, not just a customer-focused approach. You know, you touched on a couple of things there. Um, for the culture, I also heard, like the example you gave with IVF is diversity, inclusion, things that certain companies um, adopt, right? Certain certain values and others don't. And so if you're trying to attract that 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 talent, that employee who really is tuned in to diversity and inclusion, and you don't address any of that, have no empathy for their, their season of life, they're going to go somewhere else. Now, the, the SBA, according to their stats, the, and I forget the exact number, but the majority of small businesses are solopreneurs, right? It's just a one person. Uh, uh, in it's the 23 million out of the 30, 30 million small businesses in the United States. So there you go. So it's a, it's a, it's a big chunk of them. And so you're wearing all different hats. How do you decide if you even want employees? Cause this is a conversation I have with many, um, uh, uh, businesses in that I, my company, I've had up to about 50 employees and it, and it's ranged, you know, yeah. but, but I, I know I never want to get, I know because of my lifestyle, I have four kids, I homeschool, we like to travel. So for me, that work-life balance and my life goals can't include a, you know, hundred person company has to be fully remote. So I have to attract those types of people. But then I just have these conversations with other business owners who are like, I want to grow and scale, but I I don't want to go beyond myself. So how do you do do that? This is one of the biggest questions for small business owners, because there's a semblance of guilt and emotion that comes. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Um, Small business owners um, should look at hiring employees for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And we list them in the book, actually, in the chapters, we kind of talk through Like one, you need a skill that you don't have, go out and go get that skill. Two, time management, you're starting to spend time on things where your time is more valued somewhere else. And so you're Mm -hmm. limiting the growth of your business. Three, you need to start building areas of expertise out. You need to add another person in order to scale. And so there's a whole series of issues that kind of fall under those umbrellas that enable you to think through whether you should go hire someone. And then once you do, what kind of employee do you want? So do you want a freelancer? Do you want a a part-timer? Do you want a full-timer? Or do you go hire a vendor? And so we walk through a bunch of those dynamics for people to give people an understanding of how to think through that that problem. Because entrepreneurs often feel like they need to do every role. And ironically, they end up holding themselves back. And if they hired a bookkeeper, if they use better technology tools uh, for their point of sale software, for example, or their accounting software, Mm -hmm. they might actually be more effective at the craft they set out to do. And so it's super important to be thoughtful about this question and make sure that you spend enough time saying, am I doing the right thing for my business and what I want to achieve? Now, 
The only thing I would say in contrast to that is as I think about two types of businesses, some people want a lifestyle business where they only want to keep it at a certain scale. Mm -hmm. Others want to grow it. I think you have to think about what you want for your business, because if you do, in fact, want to just keep it as you, that's a different set of considerations. And again, it's all highlighted in the book, Self-Made Boss, but that's how I would think about it. One of the the other chapters that really that that I really enjoyed was about financial. And I say financial because I struggled with that in the first 10 years of my entrepreneurial journey. And in the last like 12, it's been easy. I actually just got off the phone with this my CPA who's been with me for like 15 years. And I was telling him how I was going to get on this interview. And I said, well, you know, Jackie, I mean, that's her wheelhouse is finance. So yep. I'm going to ask her like, what because there's so many things we can focus on cash flow profitability we can focus a big focus for me has always been getting paid right getting my oh my god yeah pay. like this is and, my bugaboo by yeah the way. and 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 it's funny because for me jackie i always leaned on my bookkeeper on my cpa for all the other stuff i've got tax questions whatever i don't want to go google them because that's not my wheelhouse now when it comes to getting paid I always have, to me, there's a correlation between customer service, lifetime value of that customer and getting paid. Like if I'm not getting paid, something is wrong, right? Yeah. Well, I also think people don't value cash flow in the way that they should. And so uh, <clears throat> people think about getting paid at a later point in time than they deliver the service. And they don't think about the delay that happens when you actually should be getting paid instantly or near instantly. So for example, you're a service worker or you're someone who's booked by invoice. Why aren't you putting credit cards on file and getting paid immediately or get paid by the get paid by the service and don't bill? Like that's an example where tech tools can really help you because you go use a system uh, that does electronic invoicing and it mm -hmm. immediately gets sent out. Or you could keep a credit card on file, which is totally powerful, or a debit card on file. And so there are ways to manage cash flow that enable you to get paid more quickly. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, I don't want to pay the credit card fees, but I would rather have me personally, rather have the cash flow than the 2.9% that I pay the credit card companies. Because having it instantly is worth more than the time it takes to follow up on invoicing and the delay that it, it took to send out those invoices. Having it done electronic is gold. Absolutely. I think back to probably about 10 years ago when, when we had a shot at working with Ford. And what happened was it took us like another year to work with them because all of our clients were a net 30 and Ford said, Hey, we want net 60. And we're going net 60. That's like super negative cash flow for us there because I've got to buy this inventory of, of, of traffic. We were generating leads for them. And um, there's no way we could put out this amount of money. So what did we do? We worked towards that goal, not only getting loans, credit lines to be able to give us that cushion. And then when we were ready, we went back to them and said, okay, we're ready. And they said, great, it's still going to be net 60. We try to redline their agreements. They're like, uh, no, you're a small guy. Either you do it on our terms or not. And then they changed some of the terms. 
But the point is, I, I remember my business development director. No, no, let's let's just do it now. I said it's not going to work because I'm going to be. It's going to take me six months just to catch up and make this relationship profitable. Yeah. So you have to have that insight of looking long term and not just, oh, it's a big brand. I should just work with them, right? Well, and all, so that's an example where maybe you do invoice factoring. And right. you need some credit. And so through a lot of online systems, you can you can do factoring, which is great, and help you get through that kind of environment. The, you know, the issue with uh, invoices, I, I also think small business owners have customers that they know and like, and they say, no, 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 these people pay me. I don't really have bad debt. But the challenge is you often have to go track them down if they're not electronically generated and electronically received. You meaning with notifications that come automatically, this person hasn't paid at day yeah. five, they haven't paid at day 10. And the idea of going and chasing them down, even with the best of intent is rough. And so um, that's where I like to just get people on auto pay systems mm -hmm. from a cash flow management point of view and make sure that you're getting more active invoicing. As it relates to big vendors, um, you know, I think that's a business question also. It goes beyond just cash flow management because you have to decide whether to invest in a client like that because it is a massive drain on cash flow. Sometimes yeah. it's worth it, sometimes it's not. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm I'm thinking of the growth and scale um chapter in self-made boss that one it was towards the end was really good as well because you touched on a lot of things a lot of questions that even at the program that i took at stanford that was the main question was like how do we scale the whole program was around scaling and that definition is different for for everybody everyone you know whether you want to raise money whether you want to launch with an MVP because you're launching a new line of business. I mean, there are so many questions there. So for the for the small business owners listening here, Jackie, the ones that are saying, I do want to scale, I know I want to scale, I want to grow. What, what are some of the considerations really? Well, I would suggest the following, which is put a plan together so that you understand the financial needs of scaling your business. Oftentimes it takes investment of financial capital in order to do that. And you can do that with both equity or debt. Mm -hmm. And so understanding what those numbers look like is super important, even if it's high level estimates and you're, you're doing the best you can, mm -hmm. because you want to think through people, inventory, capital. Those are the three things that really matter. So on the people, do you have to hire in advance of revenue and can you afford to do that? Super powerful. As you know, we talked about before with when do you go hire people? Maybe you need an expert in a particular domain. Maybe you need another version of yourself, but it costs money to go out and hire that person, get them on board, get them good at their craft, and then you can sell around that. Um, Inventory. Sometimes you have to buy inventory in advance. You have to invest in that inventory. You have to make sure you have the capital in order to do that or the terms ready in order to do that. And then CapEx, you might need equipment for what you're doing. And so you have to have the financial capacity to go buy that equipment. And so I would absolutely build a plan and think through what might that growth look like and what are the things you must have and what are the things that would be nice to have in order to scale. 
And then uh, you can think through your financial options of whether you need to finance with equity or finance with credit. So yeah. that's how I would think about that question. I love it. And especially the people when it, it makes me remember early in 2011 when I launched this company that I have now, um, one of my like first employees was a tech guy and a, also my COO, who's an attorney. I was paying both of them more than I was getting paid for quite a while, but I knew I needed that kind of like talent in order for me to get to the next level. And we did without them, there was no way that I could have built the company because I didn't have the expertise needed. Now I'm going to shift gears as we get here towards the end of the, the, of the interview, Jackie, you're a mom and obviously in your career, like all parents, you've had challenges. It, it, it's hard building businesses, running businesses, traveling, and then, of course, during the pandemic, with all the stuff that we went through, a question that we often get from from the community here are the 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 parents who are thinking of jumping in and saying, "I want to launch a business, but man, I'm worried that I'm going to lose whatever little bit of life work life balance I have." What advice do you give them? What has helped you in your career? I one, it's really nice for your kids to see you doing something you love. No matter how busy you are, I think kids feed off of the joy you have in your own life. And I think that is incredibly powerful in a family. Two, it's incredibly interesting and helpful insight for your kids to learn from you mm. in how you build a business. And so you are a powerful teacher in showing work ethic and showing commitment and showing passion. Um, as well as the skill that you could teach your kids for the actual domain that you're pursuing. You're a baker, you're an online person, you're a podcast recorder, like your kids will pick up on what you do and learn from you. Mm -hmm. And that can be really powerful. And then lastly, I would say it's really nice to bring your kids along on the journey. Ironically, I had this conversation with my son last night, we went out to dinner and I said to him, you know, hey, you own a piece of what I do. Like you're a part of it. I want you to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and anything I build will become yours at some point in time. And he was kind of taken aback by that. Like, yeah, wow. That's powerful. Wow. And I feel like, you know, when I go and I, I, I do bring my kids along and like, oh God, I had a bad day. I had a great day. <laughs> Um, I want them to understand, but I also like that they understand like it's theirs. They own a little bit of piece of that legacy. Yeah, I like and that. And so there's something magical about that from like a family point of view. You don't want to burden them with your day-to-day, yeah. -day, but like sharing that upside is kind of very special as well. I love that. Well, let's close out the show with a solid piece of advice to help businesses uh, overcome their roadblocks, as is one of the last chapters in Self-Made Boss. Uh, you have two things that you talk about there, being observant and being flexible. Yeah. So um, being observant, I think when you face a roadblock, you have to try to take your emotion out of it and just figure out what happened. What'd you do wrong? I, could, I think of it almost like a retro. Like what went wrong? Or you know, if you're facing that kind of challenge, what would you do next? And just mm -hmm. think through it in your head, get advice from people on what they would do. And the more you spend time critically analyzing the behavior, even your own behavior, the better you'll be next time. Mm 
And that's all that matters. The better you will be next time. If you made a stupid decision and put your head in the sand and refused to pay attention, well, then think about that. The next time you see those signals, you better react. Um, and so I do think the, the, the comment about like making sure you're being observant and thoughtful really makes a big difference because we will all face roadblocks and how we handle them is where we're put to the test. Mm -hmm. And I do like to get feedback from people. I do like to acknowledge what I could have done better, what we could have done better. And then figure like actually talk through like, well, next time I won't do the following. Um, and so I think it really makes a difference in how you operate, even when you're facing some tough challenges. That's great. Well, we appreciate you being here on the podcast with us. And we're going to put all the links in the show notes here. But where's the best place for our listeners to learn more about Self Made Boss, the book? Well, you can easily find it on Amazon uh, or Indie Bookshop, but Self Made Boss is available, you know, at, at most online bookstores. It's super easy to read, very pragmatic. It's a breeze. You pick it up chapter by chapter, whatever you need. It's a little bit more of a reference guide. And um, I know if you pick one, one thing up in the entire book, it's worth it. Um, just to spend the time and say like, let me read that HR chapter. Let me read that yeah. cash flow chapter. Um, it can be super powerful. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I've been um, an entrepreneur for 22 years. I've owned many businesses, some that succeeded, others that didn't. And even reading a book like this, and I've read many, I've taken so many things out of here that I can apply that sometimes you just forget. So thanks again for being on the show, Jackie. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you.